There's two little verses I'm fascinated by. The first one is Romans 7.20, which says, As it is, it's no longer I who does it, it's sin living in me. And some Christians wrongly have said that's the normal Christian life, that every day there's a battle between your sin nature and your righteous nature. And they've said that the more godly you get, the more painfully aware you are of just how wicked you really are. That's some people's vision of the Christian life. And I think it's wrong. Romans 7.20, it's as it is, it's no longer I who does it, it's sin living in me. So there's this vision of sin being a living parasitic uh, thing that looks for a host and wants to stay alive, wants to find people to, to live in and, and take over and dig its claws down into and suck life from. And then fast forward to in Jesus, Galatians 2.20. So Romans 7.20, Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to submit to you that we're a temple made for God's glory. We were designed. We weren't even designed for sin. We weren't designed for death. We weren't designed for selfishness to reign here. We're a temple. We were, we were a house fit for a king. We were always made for the Lord's presence. He is our native environment. Heaven is not a place we go later. It is the reality of God that was meant to be perfectly filling earth now. We were, we're, heaven is our home. And eternal life starts now. So Jesus is the way to the Father, not heaven. And of course we go to heaven later, duh. If we know him now. If we're the kind of person for which Jesus is heaven, then heaven will be wonderful. But if we're the kind of person who's only interested in streets of gold, I suspect we're probably not there yet. Are you with me? Yes. So Romans 7.20 is not the normal Christian life. It's why Jesus came. We were a temple fit for a king, but what had taken over? Sin was living in us. And we were not free. And then there's this transition where Jesus comes and lives in us. And in both situations... I find it so interesting that the old us was a slave to sin, dies in the cross. Are you with me, Romans 6? Don't you know that everyone who's been baptized has, Adriana and I just talked about this on Friday with Maniah. Don't you know that everyone who's been baptized has died? I just think it's so interesting. Some Christians have the idea, I am a sinner, So now they're drawing identity from something that was never really them. Because Paul says in Romans 7, it's not me, it's sin living in me. But there are Christians who literally have drawn identity from something that's never, it was never them. It was something that had parasitic taken over 
and, and had lived within the temple that was actually made for the glory of the Lord. And they're drawing identity from it. Now, how many of you know if you make a tree good, its fruit will be good? If you believe you're a dirty, rotten, scoundrel, evil, wicked sinner capable of nothing but sin, what are you going to live? Because you, your belief system makes you that tree. But if you believe you're the beloved of God, if you believe you're brand new, if you believe that what Jesus did is more than enough to bridge the gap, not later, but now, and now you are the beloved, then Christ can come and dwell in your heart through faith. And that's the normal Christian life, right? So how many of you think the Christian life's possible? Not one hand should have been up. <laughs> the whole Christian life is impossible. Love God, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. The whole Jesus calls us to do the impossible. Yeah, I know, I tricked you. Jesus calls us to do the impossible. And when, and when he says, go heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, we go, well, that's impossible. And then we say technically accurate things like, well, but Jesus, we can't heal the sick. You heal the sick. We just pray in your name. Yeah, I know, but he didn't say it that way, did he? You are correct. But the trick is when he says heal the sick and we say, well, we can't heal the sick. The, the mistake we make is we think the rest of the Christian life that says love is actually possible without him. Right? So we have this self-powered goodness, self-powered relationship with God, self-powered prayer life. And the whole thing is impossible in reality for us unless... We're reconnected to the source and his sap or his own nature, his life flowing through us. So maybe, just maybe, it's all about relationship. Just maybe we should stop trying to be better and start being in relationship face-to-face with this God. Just maybe, Paul's right, when he says that we, who are no longer under the law, because when we read the Bible with a law lens... It's about what we need to finish, we need to become, we need to do. So we're taking the Bible, good book, by the way, real good book, but the eye with which we use to read it matters a lot. So Paul says, legalistic lens of what I need to do for God, I'll read this book and it will be a book about what I need to finish that is unfinished, what I need to become that I am not yet become. But a grace lens says this book, every command becomes a promise of who he is. Because he would never do anything but love. And if he lives in me, then every command becomes a promise of what grace will do as I abide in his love. What What if my whole assignment is fully receive his love moment by moment and surrender to that love? And what if even, even the attributes that I'm called to manifest toward other people are a gift? What if the whole thing really is gift from beginning to end, like the Bible says? What if it's actually a big love story from beginning to end, and I'm the beloved? And if I get it, if I take it in, then suddenly my perspective will shift, and now the most unlovely person, I can, I can see them the way he saw me. 
They're not their sin. Their sin is something that has parasitic taken over and taken them away from their true and God-intended self. Am I making sense? This whole Christian life really is impossible. And the more we think it's possible, the more we'll try to finish it in our own flesh. And by flesh, I don't mean sin. I mean human, independent of God. Sometimes we call religion, right? James has a different definition of religion than we do. James says, here's true and pure religion. It's to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself from being stained by the world. And we, but we think of religion, so really he means living faith. But in the modern American context, when we say religion, I think what we mean is a system of earning God's favor. And there's this lens, I call it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is fixated on there's, there's something wrong with me and I need to make it right. There's something wrong with God and I don't trust him. There's something wrong with you and I don't trust you. There's something wrong with me and it all needs to be fixed. Because as soon as we ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was not, the knowledge of good and evil is not bad in itself. It's just God's, not ours. Anything we needed to know, he would have revealed in relationship. But when we know it apart from him, it becomes information. And information without abiding love becomes a tool for condemnation. Right? So it's actually, there's knowledge. Knowledge of this book apart from unity, union with Jesus, intimate relationship with Jesus is actually dangerous. This, plus my flesh approach, can make me self-righteous and condemning of others for what I see in it. Or me. And then I can, I can conclude, oh my word, the, the world's full of denominationalism. You've ever heard of that word that I just made up a while back? Denominations are fine. That's great. I'm glad for denominations. We need more of them even. Well, yeah, they're denominations. They're not religions. Uh, which religion are you? Uh, first of all, there's only one church, Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox and whatever, it's all one church. There's only one Savior, only one God, only one Father, only one baptism, only one gospel, only one hope. We're all family. Many cultures, many styles, but something happens in us when we're not real intimate with Jesus where we think there's a right way to do everything and it's our way. And then anyone who doesn't do it our way must not be as enlightened as we are. And that's just goofy stuff. I like to say any church will do. Any church, any church has the living Christ as its Savior. Right? Like as long as they're not anti-Christ, it's probably good enough for you to know him. And then there's probably some really imperfect people in that place for you to love. Good enough. Because aren't we called to love? Are we called to love or are we called to build the ideal church? Our vision of an ideal church is usually what makes us really damaging members of a local church. Because our vision of what the ideal church would look like is what keeps us from loving the imperfect church that God's actually called us to love. And I'll bet you that 
I bet you that the Jesus who's present in every church in Sussex County this morning, who's hopefully being glorified and honored in all the churches of Sussex County, I bet you that Jesus is enough for every one of us. If their pastors don't change, if their music isn't anointed enough, if their whatever ministry isn't the way I wish it was, I'll bet you he's still enough for me to get what I need in him so I can then pour out on you. I'll bet you, I'll bet you the indwelling Christ in the churches, all the denominations, but the true churches, wherever there's sincere faith, grace comes and takes the word. We put our faith in the word, and whenever real faith is in the word, grace comes and makes it a reality. Which is fascinating, right? Which is why Baptists have more God reality on their evangelism than Mennonites, and Mennonites have more God reality on their uh, pacifism than, and so on and so forth. Each denomination has parts of the Bible they put their faith in, and God comes by the Holy Spirit and gives grace to it and fashions and forms it. Wouldn't it be cool if we actually related to each other and made each other stronger instead of acting like it was a big competition? So Gabe the other week, can I say your dream real quick? You don't remember? I wrote it down. Gabe walks into my room all groggy-eyed and says, I had the weirdest dream. All the churches, all the churches formed one army because we figured out how to fight demons and actually kill their assignment. And the army was led by three men. Am I saying this correctly or close enough? I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it. I said, this boy's prophesying and he don't even know it. He said, the army, first of all, just start over. Well, I had the weirdest dream. He's all groggy faced. Yeah. And it was way late, so you slept in. Uh, <laughs> I had this weird dream, Dad. All the churches came together and formed a single army because we figured out how to go down into hell and kill demons. I said, oh, that's on offense right there. And the army was led by three men. And I thought, well, there's your trinity. And one of them only had one eye, had an eye patch on. And I was like, what the heck's the eye patch for? And he said, see no ear evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. Oh, speak was last. My bad, I got the quote wrong. You do now, you're starting to remember. And I, and I was talking to Stan, and I said, oh, my word. So, like, Jesus has a single eye. Remember how he said, if your eye is single, your whole body's flooded with light. If your eye is on the Lord, if your eye is fixed on faith, if your eye has a redeemed, renewed perspective and you only see one thing, then what fills you is what, what your eye is on. Right? There's, there's a principle there of what gets your focus, what gets your attention, gets you. What you fix your, the eyes of your heart on is what fills you. Or Peter's shadow healed because he was overshadowed by the light. And your shadow is always going to give off the reality that dominates your internal space. Are you with me? Okay. So I started with Romans 7.20. It's no longer I, but it's, it's just sin living in me. And really, if I want to preach that real short, the short version is as long as we stay under a law mindset, that will be our testimony, that will be our experience. As long as our whole focus is on I need to fix me and I need to fix them and I need to fix this and I need to fix that and I need to fix the world and I need to fix the poor and I need to fix the broken and I need to fix, fix, fix. I need, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do. None of that is even faith. 
It's not faith if the focus isn't Jesus, if the focus isn't something he already did, because faith always believes it's already done. Even though we're about to enter the fight we're talking about already. We haven't even entered the fight yet, but faith says it's done. Let me give you an example. How am I going to pray if I think that my job in this prayer is to measure up, and if the prayer is good enough, then it will be accepted? What are you talking about? How am I going to fight? How am I going to fight if I believe that if I don't fight well enough, I might lose? None of that's faith. See, see how sneaky it is? So Elisha is hanging out, and there's the enemy army surrounding him. Enemy army surrounding him, and he is unafraid. Is he unafraid because he's dumb and blind? Because he can see something most people wouldn't see. His servant can't see it. His name is Gehazi, which is a weird name. That's a weird name. Gehazi. Yeah, right. Gershom. It's a weird, you're right. I guess, I bet you they'd be like, what kind of name is Brian? You know? Derek. What? What? Kitty? It's Kitty Brabs. Okay. I, I, sorry. Okay. All right. She says, don't do that. So he says, Elisha says, God, he turns to, to Gehazi and he says, God, and I don't know if he was face palming or frustrated. I don't know. God, will you open his eyes? And suddenly, Gehazi sees the reality that a moment before was there, but he couldn't see it. It was his radio was tuned to the wrong station. Yeah, we don't have radios anymore. Let's see. <laughs> what do you when you don't have radio? I guess we do have radios because these are real. These are radios. Our cell phones are all using radio signals. It's just digital radio. You see how I like to live dangerously? Is there a case on this naked iPhone? There is not. Oh, he's crazy. Okay, some people do still use radios. But Gehazi's looking around, and he's, he's tuned to the earthly plane. What does Colossians 3 say, guys? Don't fix your eyes on the earthly, but fix your eyes on Jesus, on heavenly things. So, Gehazi, so Elisha says, open his eyes. Suddenly, God opens Gehazi's eyes. And what does he see? The same mountains, but instead of, oh, my word, we're surrounded. Oh, no. Where do you think this song, Surrounded, comes from? Oh, no, we're surrounded. No. He sees the angel armies. And, and I like, my kids like to tell me, you know, biblical angels are terrifying compared. They're not Hallmark baby angels floating around with little... <laughs> fat, naked baby angels. Nobody's intimidated. When, when real angels show up, people fall on the ground as though dead. Don't hurt me. The first thing angels have to say is, whoa, chill out. Whoa, relax. I can't, and, and <laughs> I'm not going to kill you. That's how they, like, imagine if that's how scared we were of the mailman. If every day when he tried to bring us mail, he'd be like, easy, easy, I'm, it's going to be okay. But, but when God sends his mailman, that's the response. that they, Yeah, that's right. Dogs think that, don't they? <laughs> Here comes the murderers. Oh, yeah, those shorts and those sneakers. 
And Gehazi's eyes are suddenly open to heavenly realities, and he goes, oh my word, we're not surrounded, they're surrounded. We're not alone, we're totally supported. There's more with us than against us. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. So so Paul says, we're more than overcomers through him. In ourselves, what are we? Quite weak. Remember that song we used to sing when I was a little kid? You know it. You you know the same songs. I am weak. Or, Or we used to sing another one. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the weak say I am strong because of what the Lord has done. That's a Bible verse, by the way. They're not just... So, Romans 7.20, sin living in me. That's the old us. But that's also going to be even the Christian us if we get our eyes on the wrong things. You'll relate to Romans 7 when you're, when you're living with a legalistic mindset, when you're living, living with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil mindset, when you're living with a fleshy mindset. But when our eyes are on Jesus, we live with a faith mindset, and grace comes, and boom, now we're in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is my eyes are fixed on Jesus and grace is empowering me and Christ in me is living his life because I'm not living for God. I'm living in God, with God, and through God. Yeah, I get it. I am still living for God, but not self-powered, not self-referential, not self-focused, not self-fueled. So the whole thing, the whole thing is about relationship. Everything by faith. Nothing on my own. So it's, and it's okay. It's okay for you to be like a nervous Israelite walking through the Red Sea on dry grounds. It's okay to be nervous. It's freaky. I'd probably be. Right? I'd probably be. I mean, I'm sure some of them were like, some of them had a swagger like, that's what I'm talking about. Eat it, Egyptians. Bam. Sucks to be you. You can't say that in church. Um, I just did. And some of them were probably like, oh my word, there's fish and seaweed. Will it hold? Will it, will it hold? Is God taking us out of here to punish us? Are we going to die? But they all got through. The ones with the tiny faith and the ones with the great faith, they all got through on dry ground because it wasn't about how strong their faith was. It was about how strong and how loving their God was. So it's okay if as you're facing your next giant, your next battle, your next, maybe your next day feels, and maybe every day feels kind of like a giant to you. It's okay for you to go, I'm scared. Open my eyes. You're with me. Remind me. You're with me. I'm not alone. I need you, Jesus. But I have you, Jesus. I keep saying, I've been saying this for years. I like the song, I Need Thee Every Hour. But I wish it had another one which said, I have you. Oh, I have you. Every hour I have you. So now I'm going to do a few announcements. We're going to take a break. Be back after a few commercials. All right, we're back. This next Sunday, I'm not going to be here because I'm going to be taking like a 5 a.m. flight from BWI on Spirit Airlines. Pray for me. 
5 a.m. red eye, and I'm going to San Jose, Costa Rica to do the inner healing thing that I do where a person sits in the chair and then they just dump all their stuff and then I go, all right, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to do something. That thing that I do, that praying thing that that I do, which actually, uh, you know what I've, I've noticed is tucked away underneath the baggage and lies and wounds, if they're, if they're at all hungry for the Lord, that's because that's there's a pure heart somewhere in there. And so what I do is I sit in the chair and I give permission for their pure heart to rise up, go on offense, and clean its own house. Right? And I turn my prophetic gift off, so to speak, which is not true, but I don't use the prophetic gift to speak over them. I use the prophetic gift to give them guidance for what to talk to Jesus about, what to repent of, what to forgive. And I just let them, Christ in them, clean their own house. And it's a party. It is fun. It is fun. But I've never done it through translation. And I've got to admit, I am nervous. I feel rather small and that I know not the way. So please do pray for me. Pray for me for traveling mercies. Linda's like, you should be going with someone. And I'm like, going with someone? She's like, I'll come and I'll be your prayer support. I'm going to go to the beach. And I'm like, yeah, there you go. They'd be like, where's your intercessor? I'd be like, well, she's in that deep intercession. Hard cut. Linda's on the beach, cucumbers on her eyes, and like sunblock on her nose, like laying on her back, fast asleep in that deep intercession. So I'm going to Costa Rica. I'll be gone about a week. Hopefully I can get back uh, before next Sunday and I'll be in one piece still. I won't have diarrhea. Speak it, speak it with me. No problems. But we'll see what happens. So, okay, that's one, that's one announcement. How are we doing on time? Oh, excellent. Danielle had a quick question about tongues this week. So when you, when you start operating in a new spiritual gift, sometimes you get real, like, is this me or God? And so how many of you know the evil one wants you to not feel good about your encounters with God. I'll just share this real quick. When I went after the gift of tongues, I knew I didn't need tongues to validate me as a child of God. I'm already a child of God. Some people have a mindset that there's varsity Christians who have the gifts of the Spirit. Then there's junior varsity Christians, and they just have the fruit of the Spirit. And I go, that's not helpful. We need Jesus, and he comes with gifts and fruit. Right? There's Baptists that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but they flow in them. They just don't call it that. They're flowing in like massive discernment as to who's ripe and who's ready and who's not. But they wouldn't call it a gift because that's not their theology. So the Lord just doesn't respect those boundaries. But I, I told Jesus, I know I'm validated in you. I know I'm already baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I really want a prayer language. And I'm not going to leave till you give it to me. So I locked myself in the, in the RV pop-up camper. And I just stayed there in prayer. And then, finally, it was like the presence of God was so thick that I was like, okay, I, f- I feel like it's now or never. Like the air is glittering around me, and his presence is just so thick that it's like, you're, you know how when sometimes God's presence is so thick you're scared to open your eyes? Because you're like afraid the literal Jesus will be physically there? You know what I'm talking about? So I'm like, okay, Lord, it's kind of now or never. So I open my mouth, and this embarrassing 
it just embarrassing baby talk syllables come out. And I, I was alone. Oh, not really, but I was alone, humanly speaking. And I blushed in my soul from embarrassment. And I thought, how dare I? I'm here in the presence of the holy God. And I'm like, I'm inventing fake prayer languages. Shame on me. And instantly the Lord says, Tim, 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 chill out. First Corinthians says that who pray, he who prays in a tongue, your mind is unfruitful, but your spirit is built up. Of course your mind is offended and embarrassed with what's happening right now. It's not even going to benefit from it. It won't understand. It's going to feel like foolish. And, or as Paul puts it in a different place, the flesh always persecutes the spirit. Your flesh will persecute your spirit. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And he goes, first, stop judging yourself. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this, these, this baby talk language that's coming out of you, and I want you to just direct it to me as worship. Stop focusing on it and just focus on me and offer it to me as worship. And don't judge yourself. Just go. You know, your mind's going to be like, oh, is that me or God? It, and, and your mind's going to be like, is that me or God? When you sing a song at church or when you share something with a stranger or when you go over to the neighbor's house and bake them cookies. Was that me or God? Oh, oh. As though he's not in you inspiring your choices and actions a lot of the time, right? As though it's me or God. False dichotomy. So next thing I know, I'm outside and I'm praying and I've been praying that, like that ever since. And it's changed over the years and it's a useful tool. And so then your question really was, if it's God, am I like forced into it, right? Like, is it just something the Holy Spirit does against my will? Do I have any influence over when I start praying in tongues and stop? Well, how many of you know Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, don't do it in church in a disruptive and confusing way for other people. Like, you can do it quietly in church, but don't just be like blurting out loudly at the grocery aisle and just like, shaba, hoba, shuba, all, you know, all walking down the aisle. That's weird. That's not spiritual. That's just weird. You're weird. You're being selfish. Makes sense to people. So if he tells you to use it in a way that's helpful, then clearly you can. You can start. You can stop. Same goes for prophecy. You can get a prophetic word and you're not automatically required to share it. Sometimes when we're singing, the revelatory activity of the Holy Spirit is so strong that literally all but every single person in the space would have a word if we had the time to parse it out and let it go. Are you with me? Yes. It's not that there's like, oh my word, someone got a prophetic word? No, come on, you're Christians. You all hear the voice of God. Duh. So there should be an abundance of revelation. The issue is, in an orderly fashion, he says, let two or three speak, and then everyone weigh carefully what is said. So, in other words, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the direction or control, is how it's translated. It's probably not a good translation, of the prophets. So can I pray in tongues on demand? Of course. I'm going to say something right now that some of you will not, not like. I can prophesy on demand. If I'm standing next to someone, I can go into my place of prayer and I can get a word from God when I need one. If that's outside of your box, I'm I'm okay with that. I didn't say I'm making up a fake prophecy. I'm saying I can go to God who lives in me and I can find something of his heart and voice 
and I can grab it and I can proclaim it when I need to. Now, motives matter. If I just need everyone to be like, he's a prophet, that's really broken. If I'm using any of the gifts of the Spirit or ministry itself to find myself through usefulness to God or acceptance by people, that's a big zero. Are you with me? Okay, I've gone three minutes more. I do want to address your question later at a different date. So we'll just annoy everyone by putting the question out there. We pray for the sick at the end, and we pray for issues at the end of our services, and very often we ask God for direction for what he's doing this Sunday in this space. We call that words of knowledge. And, um, well, we don't. The Bible calls it words of knowledge. And one of the ways we perceive what God's up to is we may feel pain in our body that's not our pain. And Linda's question was, uh, that's almost like God making me sick, and we don't have a theology of God making us sick. That's the devil's line of work. That's weird. Why would that... I'm, I'm probably misstating your question, but the basic gist is, why wouldn't God just like tell me what to pray for? Why would I need to feel pain in my body? And I have an answer, but I'm not giving it to you today. I'm going to make you wait, partially because I want you to be thinking about what that's all about. 